The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Navigating the journey called life doesn't get any easier as we move through it, but we can learn from what we have within us to make it more enjoyable in the long run. Welcome to Mental Sherpa by Theta Spring. Your host is Alexandra Janelli. In our program, we set out to provide you with the undiscovered wisdom within you to handle even life's bumpy spots. Now, here is the host, founder and practitioner of Theta Spring, Alexandra Janelli. Hello, everybody. This is Alexandra Janelli, your host at The Mental Sherpa. Today, we have a special guest uh, who I wanted to bring on the show who does coaching uh, for a very interesting topic that's a little bit near and dear to my heart. And I see a lot of clients who come in with this who have been through therapy and they're looking for specialists to help them with this problem. And I thought it was interesting when this woman started telling me a bit about what she does and her story behind it. And so I wanted to bring her on today to talk a bit about what she does. And so today we have with us is Liz Funk. Uh, Liz is a freelance freelance writer, speaker, and life coach who focuses on helping people with OCD. And so I wanted to introduce and say a special hello, Liz. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alexandra. I really appreciate you having me on. I'm so excited to have you on. Liz and I actually met through the WeWork Network, which is an amazing network here in New York City. And we got chatting, and she started telling me a bit about what she does. And I was hoping you could tell my listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do and give them a little background. Of course, sure. Um, In one half of my life, I'm a freelance writer who covers entrepreneurship, startups, career topics, and life hacking. And I write for Fast Company, The Economist, and Creator, the online magazine about entrepreneurship published by WeWork. In the other half of my professional life, I feel like so many of us have flash careers these days, um, (laughs) I am a speaker and coach who focuses specifically on raising awareness about OCD and teaching how the same strategies that people who have OCD use to recover and get better at dealing with their thoughts can help everyone. Um, Having this increased self-mastery can really help anybody be more productive, more energetic, more aware, and more able to create a life of their own design. I love that you're talking about that, this idea of creating the life that you want, right? There's so many times where we fall into this limiting belief that we can't have what we want or we shouldn't have what we want or it's going to be really hard to have what we want. But your belief system uh, is that you can and that you you get to be the creator. So it sounds like you're giving a lot of your clients the power to create what it is they want in their life. That's definitely a goal of mine. Um, Right. I think something that's a struggle, especially for people with OCD, is we can feel 
somewhat victimized, it's very disempowering to feel like your brain is working against you. Um, and it's very scary to not feel comfortable being alone with your thoughts or feeling like your internal monologue is this frightening, menacing thing. But when you're able no to kidding. learn the skills to get past that, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, you really do have so much more agency over your decisions and the choices that you make. As we begin, I was hoping, you know, as we begin to talk about OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder, could you maybe talk a little bit about the definition of that in your own words? Of course, yeah. So it's interesting. We as a society, when we think of OCD, we think of someone who washes their hands way too much or someone whose apartment is all white and perfectly clean. Um, when in reality, there is a huge range of ways that OCD can manifest. Um, OCD is obsessive compulsive disorder. And to put it in a basic way, obsessions are the thoughts. They're the fears. They're the worry that there are germs on your hands or there's the worry that something bad is going to happen if you don't tap the table a certain number of times. The compulsion is the action that you do to try to neutralize that worry. What was really surprising to me in life is that um, you can have OCD and have obsessive thoughts. So you have the O, they call it pure O, um, but the compulsion can be entirely in your head. You can have, like, thinking rituals to try to disprove the anxious thoughts that you have or to, you know, try to wash them out of your head. So some people who have OCD, worst case scenario, they don't know they have OCD and they just think the world is menacing. Um, but for these people, you would never know they had OCD because it's entirely in their thoughts. There's no visible physical rituals that they're doing. Got it. So, you know, do you think it's normal? I can't tell you how many times I have clients come in here where they're like, God, my thoughts are just racing. You know, I think we're programmed as humans to think, right? Because we become very logic mind, conscious mind. This is reality. And here, this is a prescription of what you're supposed to live in. Do you feel that there's a difference between just having a very active mind and having an obsessive mind? That's a great question. I mean, I think answering that first means differentiating what it means to have an obsessive mind. Um, yeah. Because there's been a lot of discussion these days about how the obsessives are the people who have built civilizations. That pretty much any household name inventor um, was probably somewhat obsessive in their temperament and that led to them mm. being able to invent the light bulb or invent the iPad or what have you. Um, in terms I'm... of being clinically obsessive, um, I think the big litmus test is whether your thoughts are irrational, intrusive, and repetitive. I Got think it. what sort of makes a difference is that you know, when we have a problem or when we have a negative thought in our head, 
when we problem solve, the problem goes away. But with irrational thoughts or with intrusive thoughts, the more you try to solve the problem, the bigger the problem gets. It's like poking it and making it inflate. Um, And that's where you need to have some mastery of how to deal with these thoughts because it's paradoxical. Um, You really have to accept them and let them fade away as opposed to trying to solve them, which basically feeds them. You know, it's really interesting. I love that you're talking about this idea of, you know, the more you try to control it and solve it and figure it out can lead to an even bigger knot per se. And so how does one begin to go about, so it's sort of more of an acceptance of these thoughts or? Absolutely. That's a tricky Um, thing to sit with, huh? For a lot of people, I'm sure. Well, I would say that they're probably the second most important step when you have OCD and you're actively working on getting better is to be able to say, okay, so I'm having that thought. Like to have a scary or irrational thought and have a policy in your mind that you can identify those thoughts and you don't engage with them when you can tell that they're OCD thoughts and be able to say, okay, so I'm having that thought. Like, all right, that thought can hang out in my peripheral vision and I'm going to train my focus on doing the thing that I want to be doing right now. And when that thought pops up again, which it most likely will, I'm just going to say, okay, so I'm having that thought. And when you do that, you get the distance to let that thought fade away. Got it. But if we're being totally candid, I mean, when you have severe OCD, like, that process really draws tears. Like, it's very, very difficult at first to have, like, a frightening or even dangerous thought in your head and just say, like, okay, so I'm having that thought. Like, it, it really takes practice. No, you know, it's funny. I, when I work with clients doing hypnosis or coaching myself, it is, there's this acceptance of this part of them where it's like, it's so, you, you're having this thought, right? But this thought, as strange as it sounds, it is just a story that your mind is telling you. And the moment you can be like, it is a story. And what am I, why am I buying into this story? What other stories might there be? If you want to use your mind in a creative way, how can you begin to change that story? Or, you know, create four other stories that it could be um, in between. Like it either is or it either isn't, but maybe. And to see sort of where they land with it as well. You know, I don't work that much with OCD, but I certainly get a lot of clients who have very active minds. And, you know, it's interesting to see where the root of that thought comes from. It's like if you go deeper with that, it is about the feeling that they're experiencing, which can be rather uncomfortable as well. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we all fall somewhere on an OCD spectrum. I don't believe that OCD is completely black and white. I mean, there's certainly a difference between like, you know, a psychiatrist would diagnose you with OCD versus a psychiatrist wouldn't diagnose you with OCD. But I would say, outside of that, there's a wide spectrum of, you know, some people are unusually low anxiety, and they don't deal with obsessive thoughts. 
And then some people in the middle are mildly anxious and occasionally experience an obsessive thought or their mind races on any given Wednesday. And on that specific day, it really drains their energy and takes a lot out of them. And then closer to the OCD side of the spectrum, I think there's more people than we would anticipate who somewhat frequently deal with obsessive thoughts or irrational thinking, and they don't have the tools to deal with it. Um, And it's way more common than any of us would ever guess. No kidding. Do you find that people who do suffer from OCD, that there's a strong correlation with anxiety? Like, does someone who has OCD typically have suffer from anxiety? Generally speaking, yes. What's really interesting, I've heard a couple different experts make the argument that OCD is not a mental illness. It's a neurological disorder. But what makes it a mental illness is if you react to the thoughts you have with anxiety. For example, if you thought to yourself, like, I really need to check to make sure that the front door is locked, um, but you don't check it and that not knowing doesn't bother you, that is OCD, but there's no anxiety with it. But I think that's a very, very, very small proportion of people. I would say the vast majority of people with OCD are definitely anxious about the thoughts and feelings that they have and probably were high-anxiety people before any of their symptoms emerged. I'm wondering also, do you find that people who have OCD, it starts at a particular time in their life? Like, does it result from a traumatic experience or does it usually start in childhood and it just isn't picked up at that time? It's really interesting to me. Um, People who have OCD are born with it and it's more or less a latent kernel of OCD in your head. And most people can recall memories as children of doing things that were OCD. But generally speaking, symptoms start to come out in full force between ages 16 and 25. And Hmm. it's really interesting because it's a time period that's marked by so much change. And independence. Yeah, and like relationships as well. Um, So it doesn't have to be a traumatic thing that brings it on, but generally speaking, it's change and stress that brings it on. So it makes it even worse per se. You know, when we come back from the break, what I'd love to sort of talk with you about also is, you know, when I'm working with clients, there's this really interesting thing that happens in terms of when you put someone into the hypnotic state, you're actually causing an anxiety of the mind, just not necessarily in that really uncomfortable anxiety way. You're overstimulating the mind so that it can drop into this very acutely focused zone where the everything around you fades away. And what is really interesting is that people who do suffer from anxiety or maybe even these OCD tendencies, I do find that they are almost in a pre-programmed hypnotic state per se because they are so acutely focused on that one dwelling thought or that one, 
you know, feeling that it becomes sort of like this spiraling mechanism. And it's similar to hypnosis, not that we give you negative things to think about, but we're really directing you to a very focused point as well. And I've seen, you know, having worked with clients who have like nail biting or picking, some really great changes happen um, through the hypnotic process. So I'd love to talk to you about that a bit more too when we come back from the break. Uh, just Let's about, do it. yeah, what your thoughts are about that. So when we come back from the break, we're going to continue our conversation here with Liz Funk, who's our freelance writer, speaker, and life coach who focuses on helping others with OCD. So we'll be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Visit the Theta Spring Hypnosis Store to find out more about our home hypnosis programs and detox systems. Our hypnosis programs bring the power of our therapy to the comfort of your own home or on your mobile device. Our detox system has been formulated as the first ever mind and body detox. The Burn and Build Body 14-Day Anti-Aging Detox Kit is a food-based detox that has an optional subconscious support program. Stay committed and create sustainable change while cleansing your body. Visit thetaspring.com forward slash store. We have a special 15% discount for our listeners. Use promo code VA15 at checkout. When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the founders of Access Consciousness, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane Here, Consciousness is all about including everything and judging nothing. Our program will help you break free from your personal limitations and enhance positive change in all areas of your life. Tune in to Access Consciousness, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to Metal Sherpa by Theta Spring. To reach Alexandra Janelli or her guest on today's program, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to aginelli at thetaspring.com. Now, back to The Metal Sherpa Show. Welcome back, everybody. This is your host, Alexandra Ginelli, on The Mental Sherpa Show with our guest, Liz Funk, who is a freelance writer, speaker, and coach who focuses on helping people with OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder. Before we went on break, we were talking about this idea of obsessive thoughts and compulsive behaviors, that there might even be some correlation between that and the hypnotic state. When clients that I work with go into the hypnotic state, what happens is when you go into hypnosis, you're going into a state that's kind of between awake and sleep. 
and you're tapping into your subconscious mind. Now, what happens is as you begin to relax, you begin to sort of let go of your logical mind and you move into this place that's very emotion driven. It's very behavioral based and you become acutely focused. It's almost like a place where you're very focused in on what's being talked and told to you. Now, my what I was thinking and telling Liz before we went on break and to all of you was that there's this idea that people who have OCD, who have anxiety, they're actually overstimulated and possibly maybe even in a trance. It's just a theory that we're going to play with for a moment. And what happens is when you go into the hypnotic state, you're actually overstimulating the mind so that it then drops into this deeply acute and relaxed state. That maybe these people who are in these obsessive compulsive places or even in a high state of anxiety or stress, they've actually overstimulated their mind where they've actually tapped out of their logical conscious um, capabilities and they're much more in your subconscious mechanism where there's a lot more creativity, there's a lot more kind of active and awake dreaming that can happen. Um, And it does tap into your past. It taps into a lot of emotions. And so I was just wondering, you know, what that might, what that sounds like to you, Liz, and what your reaction might be. Well, I think you make a really fascinating point here that for people who are anxious or people who have OCD or fall somewhere on the OCD spectrum, when they're stuck on something, it's, feels like being hypnotized. Um, It really feels like you're not fully there. You're sort of in between here and somewhere else mentally entirely. Um, it's it's incredible because even when I'm working with a nail biter or a finger picker, and this was something that I suffered from as a child, um, all through my sort of young adult years was finger picking. And when you're doing it, I mean, nothing else is in your scope of thought. Like Mm. all the peripheral stuff, you're not paying attention to that. You're so involved in that action, but yet you can't stop that action. And and it's wild. You're practically dissociated. Yeah. Which, you know, when you tap into the subconscious, I'm reading this crazy book on, you know, the idea that we're always sort of dreaming and that our conscious mind is much more to where our logic is and the reality of where we're supposed to live, but that we're really technically dreaming all the time. And there becomes this discrepancy that happens. And it, it almost feels like when you are dreaming and we dream a lot, even in the awake state, you know, we think you kind of get in, you can get into these obsessive patterns because your mind, maybe it's triggered by an emotion or what have you. So it, I, I just think it's incredible to think about the power of the mind. Oh, yeah. I mean, our brains can drive us crazy, or we can learn to see them as a tool that we can use really skillfully. Um, But if you're in a a place in life or in your journey, if you will, where um, it feels like you're fighting with your mind, um, it's really challenging, to say the least. (laughs) Right. And I think it's important to tell our audience, you know, it's not uncommon for people to have this internal discrepancy that happens and, you know, to have these like, oh, should I, shouldn't I? Um, That doesn't necessarily mean that you have OCD. Um, Liz, I was hoping you could speak to people where if, what might they do if they think they might have OCD or they might be struggling with something like this? What's their best course of action? 
It's a great question. Um, and I think you also brought up a good point that um, not everyone who has these thoughts that they get stuck on has OCD. I had a really compelling experience in April. I was speaking at a Big Ten school about how overachieving young women can make burnout prevention part of their lifestyles, and I discussed how young women, um, you know, can learn to observe their thoughts rather than being reactive much of the time and manage their anxiety and get comfortable relaxing so they can recharge their batteries when they need to. And at one point in the lecture, I asked the audience, how many people here have ever had a thought where you were really concerned about something and you were pretty sure about how something was going to happen and you were terribly anxious about the outcome? And then when the situation played out, you learned that you were way off and that things weren't anywhere near as catastrophic as you had anticipated but you had been stuck on this thought for hours or maybe a couple of days and exerted a lot of mental energy on this. And virtually every hand in the room shot up. Um, It looked like I was facing down a tsunami. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. So it's very normal to deal with these kind of thoughts from time to time. I think the litmus test is, are you experiencing them to an extent where they are interfering with your happiness? Are they interfering with your ability to do your job? Or is it getting to the point where you're thinking to yourself, like, I'm struggling to do some things that are completely normal for other people? Right. It's really inhibiting my life at this point. Exactly. And that's that's how it works for me. Like, I am... yeah, would you I, mind telling us a bit about your story? Because this is a passion for you, and it must have sparked from somewhere. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I actually have a fairly severe case of OCD. Um, and today I, I manage it very well and also very actively. So I don't experience too much interference in my life today. Um most of the way that I experience OCD now is simply in the form of intrusive, irrational thoughts that I can pretty much shush away and they sit on the sidelines while I live my life. Um, but four years ago, this time of year, I um, was debilitated by OCD. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've always had kind of OCD temperaments, I guess. I... Um, I'm just, I'm a very focused person. I'm very driven. I like, I like certainty, I guess. That's what has led up to it, is that I'm really, I've always been a certainty junkie. Sure. Um, But in June of 2012, I um, was living in New York City, and I had been freelancing, um, doing writing and marketing, and I wanted to get a full-time job, and it was like a total production finding a job. Um, the economy was still really, really dry in New York in um, May 2012. And I uh, I finally got a job, but it was like a huge, elaborate production to get it. And it was a great job. Um, it was at like a very sexy startup where we all had Mac monitors and a fully stocked fridge and Ooh. all the kind bars we could eat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
but uh, it was it was intense. Like it was, um, everyone was very well dressed and it was elegant. And we were on this sexy kind of mission. And um, my first day, I was practically blind with anxiety. But I put on a brave face and I met my coworkers and I got a sense of what the job was. And on the second day, I. Um, you know, continue to learn more about the job. I had this sense like, okay, I got this. I can do this. Um, and I was a couple of years younger than everybody else in my role, but I was like, I, I can handle this. This is fine. And then that night I went for a bike ride and a thought occurred to me, like, I think I make weird faces when I work. Um, the office had an open layout, like it was one loft where, 40 people worked and that I was conscious of how uncomfortable that made me during the day. But while I was on this bike ride, I was like, I really don't like that open office layout. I, I think I make really weird faces when I work. I, uh, I think people noticed the weird faces I made when I worked and I think they saw me chewing on my lip and I think they think I'm weird and shit. Like I think I'm going to get fired. And mm-hmm. I got into my head. Like I look weird when I work. I might get fired. So the next day I went back to work and this became a thing that every single day I would come up with some ridiculous reason for why I felt like I was going to get fired from my job. And every night I would spend anywhere between 40 minutes and four hours going back and forth in my head, thinking myself in circles, debating whether or not I was going to get fired from my job. Um, and it could be for things as little as like, oh my God, I kicked it one of my fingers underneath the table during a meeting, like somebody saw. It was totally, fully irrational. Um, but because I didn't know I had OCD and because I didn't know that OCD could manifest in obsessive thoughts, I just thought all of this was real. Right. Um, so this went on for about six months. And, um, during this time, like I lost like 25 pounds. I think my skin was like translucent from stress. Um, and around like 3 PM every day, I was like break out in a stress rash, but I, I really was not putting the pieces together. Like Liz, like this isn't true. This isn't reflective of reality. Um, But by November of that year, um, my obsessions had spread to non-work-related things. I was ritualizing constantly. Um, It seemed like just getting out of the house took like an hour of checking and making sure faucets were off and toilets were flushed and there were no hairs in the drain and that I hadn't left anything flammable going in the kitchen. Um, And just my, my life was spiraling out of control from, you know, the amount of noise and fear that there was in my brain. Um, So I went to a mentor of mine and told her what was going on. And she was very tender and very empathetic. But she also basically told me, like, yeah, you should talk to someone. I'm sure Um, that's not easy either to sort of go, okay, something's going on, and to go and find someone to talk to about it that you feel comfortable with. That's a big I mean, step. Thank you. I mean, it was getting to the point that my life was 
pretty unmanageable. Um, like, like I remember that week, like being in a friend's bathroom and like being worried that like other people could hear my internal monologue. And I kind of knew like, it's only going to be a downhill sprint from here. Like I need to talk to somebody. Um, and, and when I was finally able to talk about it, like I could finally like cry and like experience like I'm terrified like my life is terrifying yeah Um, to be scared oh my god I was so scared yeah I just had to admit that to myself the other day about something I was like I'm really scared and there was something like freeing about just saying it versus avoiding it which was kind of freeing in some way too oh my god it's wonderful to be able to say I'm afraid or I'm scared. Yeah, to pinpoint Um, those emotions. Yeah, yeah. Like, not to go off on a tangent, but I read something, I think it was at Forbes.com, and it looked at language that um, Fortune 500 CEOs use, and it found that when, they found that when a person would commonly say, I'm stressed, uh, CEOs would use the word afraid. They would say, I'm afraid, or I fear that. And so it was really interesting to see that like people in these very powerful positions use this more vulnerable but much more specific language to describe being afraid. Well, I think what's really interesting about that, too, is that the more that you can pinpoint, stress is so generalized, the more you pinpoint it, I'm scared, I'm happy, I'm sad, I feel timid, I feel vulnerable, the more that you have something more concrete to work around or to acknowledge that it's, it normalizes it, I guess, in some way, too, that other people feel these things first, ah, you shouldn't feel stress. And I find acknowledgement I mean, goes I a long way. I think what makes dealing with anxiety a lot easier, too, is if you understand the brain science behind it, that um, for people with OCD and severe anxiety, their amygdala, which is the part of the brain that is in charge of detecting danger and error, goes off like a fire alarm going off by accident. Like, it sends messages to the action-oriented part of your brain saying, there's a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem, when there yeah. is no problem. So the, the stress can physically feel very, very real. Um, but if you know, like, okay, this is just my brain misfiring, it's not um, a crisis, or, you know, this is solvable, like, that makes it, so much easier to get through to the core of whatever the issue is. Right. And I guess when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about, you know, how you begin to turn those off because it does require a couple coping tools that a lot of people don't maybe have right at the moment that this is where Liz or another professional in this field can really begin to help you as well. And I have one tip or tool that I use with clients that really helps them in terms of getting to know this part of you if it were just a part. Um, how they might be trying to help you and 
to acknowledge them. So when we come back from the break, we will be rejoined with Liz Funk, who is our freelance writer, speaker, and life coach who focuses on obsessive compulsive disorder. We'll be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Visit the Theta Spring Hypnosis Store to find out more about our home hypnosis programs and detox systems. Our hypnosis programs bring the power of our therapy to the comfort of your own home or on your mobile device. Our detox system has been formulated as the first ever mind and body detox. The Burn and Build Body 14-Day Anti-Aging Detox Kit is a food-based detox that has an optional subconscious support program. Stay committed and create sustainable change while cleansing your body. Visit thetaspring.com forward slash store. We have a special 15% discount for our listeners. Use promo code VA15 at checkout. When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the founders of Access Consciousness, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane Heer. Consciousness is all about including everything and judging nothing. Our program will help you break free from your personal limitations and enhance positive change in all areas of your life. Tune in to Access Consciousness, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to Metal Sherpa by Theta Spring. To reach Alexandra Janelli or her guest on today's program, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to aginelli at thetaspring.com. Now, back to The Mental Sherpa Show. Welcome back. This is your host, Alex Ginelli, on The Mental Sherpa Show with our special guest, Liz Funk, who is our specialist and coach in obsessive compulsive disorder. Before we went on break, we were talking about, you know, how the brain with clients who do have anxiety or OCD it kind of misfires and it kind of, it leaves us in this state of perpetual readiness and hyper-awareness. And one of the things we were talking about is how we can begin to teach people different coping mechanisms that can help you distance yourself from an obsessive thought. And one of the tools that I like to teach people a bit is that, you know, if you sort of took this this anxious self outside of you and you imagine them here in the room with you or next to you sitting with you, they're going to, and you be sort of just thought about how they behave and what they're doing. You could just imagine that they're just a part of you. And if they weren't trying to hurt you, but they were really trying to help you, what you might actually learn from them, that maybe there was a time when something did happen to you where you felt that you needed to have this anxiety and mechanism built in so that that didn't happen again. And that's something that I begin to work with clients is getting to know 
this anxious part of them and what they might be helping to do so that when these obsessive thoughts or anxiety come up, um, they are able to look at it and go, okay, the fire alarm's going off, but it's not here to hurt. If it wasn't here to hurt me and it was here to help me, what might it be trying to say in just a sort of roundabout and really poorly stated statement? And the more people begin to get to know that side of them, the better they are to sort of cope with it as well. And also to sit with that emotion and be like, you know, the thought is you, typically most actions we take uh, come with a thought and an emotion that are coupled together. It might Typically, it's an emotion that'll come up first, and then the thought begins to wrap around it because it likes to fill in the story of the unknown because we might not know why we're having that emotion. And so the more you can begin to change the thought or begin to tap into a different emotion based on a different memory or a thing that happened or a happy thought, then the actions you're going to take in your life become very different too. And so that's just another tool for my listeners to think about as well. And Liz, I'm going to turn the mic back over to you to tell us a little bit about some things that have really helped you, things that, you know, you work with tons of people and groups that you've really seen help them. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Um, I think the the first thing that I tell people when they are struggling with an anxious thought is to ask themselves, in a room of 100 people my age and my gender, how many would feel the way I'm feeling? Or how many would have this reaction that I'm having to this situation? Mm. And what I love about this exercise is that it provides fairly instant clarity, and you're immediately able to see if what you're feeling would be pretty consistent across, you know, a room of other people like you, or if what you're experiencing is irrational or something that most people really wouldn't worry about or concern themselves with. I love that tool. And, you know, I was talking with Mia Moore, who is on our show uh, in the last season, who is also a life coach and psychotherapist. And there's also this idea of what you're talking about that really takes it outside of you right? It sort of puts you in this bigger picture, feeling more connected to the universe, that you're not alone in what you're feeling, which can be really comforting too. But it's like, I'm not alone in this. Oh, no, not at all. Um, I mean, it's funny, when I was first diagnosed with OCD, I felt very alone. Um, Right? Like, I, I intellectually knew that one in 40 people have OCD, So I would stand on the subway and I would look at a really crowded subway car and say like, okay, there are probably 80 people in this car. That means one other person has a brain like mine and knows what I'm going through. Um, And I, I did feel very isolated. What I've experienced in the past year Um, as I've launched my coaching practice and have started speaking about OCD, is that the more open I am and the more vulnerable that I am and the more I talk about OCD, the more people come forward and tell me, like, oh, like, my stepdad spends an hour every single day balancing his checkbook. Like, is that OCD? Or someone will tell me, like, You know, when I was a kid, I was, like, obsessed with the idea that my parents might die. Like, is that OCD? So it's been really fascinating to see, like, 
you know, I think so many more of us have some degree of OCD and there's just not enough discussion about it, but we're absolutely not alone. No, and I, it's so, I think there's also a stigma that happens, you know, anytime you get a diagnosis from a doctor, right? You have IBS, you have this, you have that, you're bipolar, where you kind of then all of a sudden you get the stigma to yourself of something's wrong with you. And I was curious as I'm sitting here thinking about that statement, if you, how has this, your OCD actually formulated your life? If it wasn't sort of a deterrent, how has it actually improved your life just by having it, if there was any way? Exciting question. Um, I think the biggest way that OCD has helped my life is um, by becoming more comfortable with certainty. Um, at the crux of getting better with from OCD, you need to embrace uncertainty. So say, you know, you're afraid that you might have left the stove on. Like, you need to be okay with, like, yeah, like, I might have left the stove on, um, but I don't want to spend my life worrying about the stove being on. So, you know, I'm going to be okay with that uncertainty. You know, I would rather have this uncertainty and keep living my life. Um, And that can be applied to virtually any obsession you can think of. Um, so when I was really focused boot camp style on getting better from OCD, I was, it felt like virtually every activity I did, I was saying like, I'm willing to take this risk. I'm not going to ritualize. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm willing to accept this uncertainty. And, um, Years later, I think I have a much higher tolerance for certainty, or I'm sorry, for uncertainty than I see amongst my peers. Um, how, would, how would you describe uncertainty, like for yourself? I think everyone who's listening, you know, we all go through the unconscious mind, subconscious mind. It's the one thing it hates. It's very painful is uncertainty. But if you can redefine it for that, it you know, the more you can define it or redefine it too, you can change your definition of it altogether. What was your old definition of uncertainty and what is your new one? Mm. So I think my old definition of uncertainty was like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen and thus things are going to turn out terribly. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I need to manipulate outcomes so then I know things won't, turn out badly. Um, mm-hmm. Like when I was uh, working on getting better from OCD, I was, you know, obsessed with staying the same weight. I was obsessed with, you know, am I going to find a guy in New York City? Um, I was totally obsessed <laughs> You and a thousand what... other people. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry? Sorry, I said you and a thousand other people about finding the man in New York City. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes. I mean, it wasn't a clinical obsession for me, but it was definitely something I thought about. Like, I would go on dates and be like, could I marry you? Like, yeah, okay. Like, I was so afraid of the idea of ending up alone. And um, whereas I guess it's a good segue. Let's say I'm in my late 20s and people I know are getting married and I, I really don't care that 
you know, I'm not on that path right now. Um, I would say that there's more uncertainty in my life. Really, actually, that's not true. I, I have a high level of uncertainty in my life, not the highest I've ever experienced, but a fairly high level, and it really doesn't bother me at all. Um, like, I don't even know what I'm going to be doing tonight when I finish work, and, and that doesn't bother me. Um, I, I know I'm going to move in November, and I have no idea where I'm moving to, and, and that doesn't really bother me. It could be to Manhattan, or it could be to... Tuscaloosa, and um, my job is just to keep doing the next right thing and trust that the answers will present themselves when it's time. So there's this idea that I'm picking up on that you've really just sort of begun to build a trust in that everything happens for a reason, there's something bigger at play going on, and it sort of takes it out of the onerous part of it off of you to have to figure it all out. Absolutely, yes. I mean, you use the perfect word, onerous. Like, it's a burden to try to control things. And we think that when we're, you know, striving and forcing things to happen, that we're, we're doing our life's work and that we're being hardworking and ambitious. When really, like, if something isn't coming together, it's probably not going to come together. And um, forcing right. it will just break it. Whereas I think if you can really let go of, you know, needing certain outcomes and just focus on doing your best, on helping others, and on showing up for the day with as much openness as possible, you're going to get so much better results. Right. It's so true. It's so true. I, and I see it with clients. It's really, you know, first understanding what is that real deep underlying fear. And then how do you sort of recognize it's just a story and to really begin to move in the bigger picture? You know, maybe it's trusting in the universe, God, spirituality, the connectedness of human beings, but just knowing that everything happens for a reason. Even if you look back in your history, it's like, all those things that seem like failure or pains taught you something and that you can move through these things as well. So I think it's a beautiful journey. If you allow yourself to look at each thing that's happened as an opportunity, maybe even your OCD as well. And um, Liz, for my listeners that would like to know more about you or maybe even work with you, tell a bit about how you work, how they can find you. Uh, you do a ton of group talks and everything too. Yeah, yeah. I have a fun practice. Um, I work with clients one-on-one. Um, I have a minimum length of three months because I think that's the right amount of time to work with someone and, you know, make noticeable progress. Um, but I do work with people for consecutive three-month chunks to really help them gain mastery of their OCD. Um, My website is glowingocdbrain.com, and I use the word glowing as a reference to um, when you look at OCD brains on brain scans, they glow with excessive activity in the danger detection part of the brain and in the worrying and analyzing part of the brain. 
Mm. But I think once you befriend your OCD and learn how to make it work for you, you sort of feel like your brain glows in a good way. Um, So I want to help people get to that point. That's incredible. I love that. Thank you. And so tell everybody else, okay, so they can find you on glowingocdbrain.com. How else might they be able to find you? Um, or I speak work with regularly you. at colleges around the country. Um, so I will post, you know, on my website when I have a new engagement coming up. Um, I'm also, I guess, I'm pretty much a social media junkie. I am on Twitter way more than a person should be. Um, my handle is at Liz Funk. Um, and I'm also on Instagram, uh, Liz underscore funk. And um, I'll post motivational quotes. I'll post links to my blog posts. Um, and I post a lot of pictures of my apartment because I'm obsessed with interior design. Amazing. And Liz, just as we begin to wrap up the show, is there anything that you'd like to leave my listeners with? Just sort of a last thought or negative information. Yeah. Um, something that I learned that is really meaningful for me is um, Winston Churchill had OCD. And he was a man who was so powerful and such a huge part of world history and he had OCD, and I think that's just so interesting. And what's also really interesting is, um, you know all the memorabilia that's like, keep calm and carry on, and like, keep calm and carry on saving? Of course. Um, so keep calm and carry on was actually a slogan that was released by like the British government's communications agency during World War II when they were dealing with um, all the air raids. So there were these signs that said, keep calm and carry on with the Queen's crown at the top. And I feel like it's almost like Winston Churchill speaking about OCD there. Like, yes, this terrible thing is happening, but keep calm and carry on. Carry on. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. Winston Churchill so also said one of my favorite quotes. Could be like, keep calm and trust that the universe has your back. Yep. And Winston Churchill, speaking of glowing, he also said the quote, which is one of my favorite quotes, we're all worms, but I do believe that I'm a glow worm. So, Liz, I, I love that. Yeah, so I can't thank you enough for helping people begin to glow in their life. And as Winston Churchill, if he teaches us nothing else, it's that your OCD can really help you shine and glow in your life. And Liz, thank you for being on this mission to help people glow in their lives too, just as you're glowing in yours. So thank you for being with us today. And everybody, we will uh, hope you join us back next week for another episode of The Mental Sherpa. Thank you again for tuning into Metal Sherpa by Theta Spring. Host Alexandra Janelli hopes you'll join her for another edition next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we meet again, have a nice week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.